Open your Bibles this morning, Mark chapter 4, verse 35. We're going to take our last kind of journey through the story in the middle of the lake, in the middle of the storm, in the middle of the night. Uh, next week, we're going to be approaching the same lake in a similar storm and a very uh, challenging dynamic one more time uh, where we go from no faith to little faith and show you the dynamic of failing forward. How do you fail in such a way that you get better every time you fail versus like condemning yourself for having failed? So uh, we talked about the first week, what is? Last week, we talked about who cares? This week, we finally, a month of waiting, get to talk about what was that all about? And then uh, next week, feeling forward. Mark chapter 4, verse 35 says this. Can you guys read that? That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him, had a very pleasant conversation with him about his care for them and how they appreciated his faithfulness. They said, the problem is not the storm, the problem is you. How many of you guys know that when God is your problem, you, you have a bigger problem than you, than you have? That there's actually two things happening now. So he says this, you don't care. Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, quiet, be still. And the wind died down and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, here's the problem, guys. Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no, zero, nada faith? They were terrified. <laughs> and finally, they asked the question they should have asked from the very beginning. Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey. Remember last week, we talked about who cares. One of the key issues that we're going to have to deal with when we go through hard times is a sense that God is with us. And sometimes when, when God is with us because, you know, the, the three-legged dog grew a fourth leg and you won the lottery and the kids say, yes, ma'am, and yes, sir, and everything's going well, and you kind of stop and you take inventory of your blessings, you say, wow, God, you're so good. But what do you do when the blessings are absent? What do you do when you've done everything God's asked you to do? Now you're in a Philippian prison cell and you're filleted from the back of your head to the soles of your feet and you've done nothing wrong. What do you do when you've done the right thing, expecting a good thing to come back in return because reciprocity, sowing and reaping. So we do the right thing and instead of the right thing coming back, James is beheaded, Peter's imprisoned, Paul is beaten with Silas in a Philippian jail. What do you do when in the middle of your story, everybody say middle. What do you do when in the middle of your story, it looks like God is asleep? He's, he's not caring. He's not there. He's not active. And I'm trying to add up. I'm trying to do the math in my head and in my heart to say, God's good and everything's going to be okay. And how, but, but in the middle of the story, often in the middle of the story, it doesn't look that way. When we have faith that is here, we have a mountain that is here, we have a big problem. That may be two inches but that's a big problem. When your problem seems bigger than your God, it, it, it's a very difficult season for your life, but it's also an invitation to come higher. Somebody say amen. So they're in the middle of the storm, and I mean, they're, they're in the middle of the lake. The storm hasn't hit yet, and they're in unity. They just fed thousands with a handful of fish sandwiches. They, they've just taught the Sermon on the Mount. They're on their way to deliver the demoniac of the Gadarenes, naked cat-eating guy, the guy that, you know, who, what's your name? Was, our name is Legion, for there's many. This guy is so possessed. He's naked. He's breaking chains. They're trying to restrain him, and they can't. I mean, they're, they're in the middle of their story, and all of a sudden, the storm hits. They learn more. Guys, hear me. I, this is important from last week, but getting us ready for this week. They learn more about their faith. Everybody say faith. At home, say faith. Okay, good. good. They learn more about their faith in five minutes 
in a storm than they could have learned five years just walking down the road having a good time. And, and this, is where, this is where very temporary beings have to somehow take on an eternal perspective. Where, where I'm having a bad day does not mean God isn't good. It is often God is working really eternal things and very temporary people through totally unpleasant circumstances. And anybody here in military, you know what I'm talking about? We do the, the veteran stuff. So remember what they were training you. Remember that? It wasn't like, listen, it's going to be wonderful and there's going to be jacuzzis and you're going to sleep really well and the food's great. It wasn't, right? They beat you up preparing you for war because that's where you're headed. In the same way, God isn't just, he's not bringing heaven to earth in the sense that, that this becomes heaven. He's bringing heaven to earth to undo the hellish things that Jesus wants to be undone. Are you getting this? So we're in the middle of a war. This isn't heaven. This isn't hell. This is that place in between. So that storm revealed a lot of what they didn't have yet, but they had access to. That storm revealed stuff that was inside of them that was lifelong insecurities, lifelong fears, lifelong issues. And, and in just five minutes in that storm, it all came out. There was no hiding it. There was no psychotherapy. There was no medication needed. There was no, you know, just talking it through and finding that breakdown moment where you get the tomahawk in your hand around the fire with the other guys and you weep and talk about your daddy never loving you. I mean, they, this happened in five minutes. They realized they had an orphan spirit in an adopted world. And if it wasn't for the storm, they'd still been arguing about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. After that storm, they're like, I don't think I want to be the greatest in this kingdom. I, I just want to be a pawn, right? They absolutely, and you've got to hear me, because it's important for all of us. They absolutely, 100%, not even close, failed the test. This wasn't like, well, they almost, it was a B minus. No, it was an E if you're from Michigan. It was an F if you're from anywhere else. It was an absolute abject, one of the worst oak crud moments in biblical history, failure. It's epic. How many of you guys know if you're going to fail, have an epic failure. If you're, gonna, if you're not going to make it over Snake River Canyon, let the whole thing blow up as soon as you launch off the pad, right? If you're, if you're going to have a failure, make it an epic failure. So today, I, I, what I want us to do is kind of do an autopsy on what went wrong and see if there isn't something that happened in their lives that's also happening in ours that we can learn from. So what was that all about? First things first, you've got to know this. Jesus rebuked. Everybody say rebuked. He rebuked the storm. It's an interesting word. The word rebuke here, it means to tax with fault, to rebuke, reprove, censure severely, to reprimand, to charge sharply. Jesus used his outside voice. He used his bad dog. When he talked to the storm, he was not like, okay, Father, the storm's purpose has ended. If you'll stop the wind now, um, we're going to deal with, with what they've learned. He didn't do that. He got up and he rebuked. Everybody say rebuked. Now, why is this important? Because rebuking tells us where the storm actually came from, or maybe more importantly, where it didn't come from. If Jesus would have rebuked a storm that was sent by God, he would have been rebuking his father. Jesus rebuked the storm. He didn't say, okay, Daddy, thank you. That's wonderful. I, I asked you for this. You sent it. It freaked him out. They learned something. He didn't. This storm, and you've got to hear me, this storm, not every storm, but this storm wasn't from God. Now, at the same time, it isn't like Jesus didn't use it for God's glory. But we know because Jesus rebuked it, if it was a storm from his father, he'd have been rebuking his father. And a kingdom divided against itself cannot stand. What he was doing was simply this. It was that moment in time where 
you know, the, the, the lights both turned green and there was a car accident. It was that moment in time where the stars aligned and something bad happened. Again, this is not Miami Beach. This is Omaha Beach and we were at war. And there will be casualties and, and um, there will be accidents. There will be tragedies because that's the world in which we live. We set that into motion with our greed, our stupidity, our sin, all the way back to the Garden of Eden. So it's not God's fault that the earth doesn't look like heaven. It's our responsibility to transform the earth back to what God wants us to be. Okay, you didn't get that. I'll say it three other times later. Maybe we'll get it the next two times. Okay. Jesus had taught them. This is, this is Mark chapter 4, but in the Gospel of Matthew, this is Matthew chapter 8 in, in the narrative. So what happened in, in chapters what, uh, 4, 5, and 6 is the Sermon on the Mount. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus taught them that if something happens that isn't the will of God, through prayer, what is wrong can be corrected. He said it this way. Jesus teaches how to pray. Okay. You're supposed to pray this to God. Let your kingdom what? Let your will be done on as it is in. Okay. So this circumstance not being from God, being the result of a fallen world, being the result of just natural causes, this never would have happened in the Garden of Eden, but because of the fall of mankind, because of sin, because of greed, the earth became a dangerous, blood-soaked place. This is one of the effects of, of our sin on our planet. And so the Golan Heights, that warm air came up and hit that. It rolled over on itself, and it came straight down on the lake, and the waves were amazing, and ten-footers were coming on the boat, and all four of the fishermen looked at each other and said, we're dead. And the tax collector's like, wow, this is bad. He had no idea he was about to die. But Peter, being a man of the lake, went to Jesus and said, we're going to die. Like, we, we know that boats don't come back from storms like this, right? So this circumstance is not from God, and Jesus addresses it as if it has no authority to do what it's doing. Now, hear me. If you don't get anything I say for, like, the rest of the year, hear this. When you realize that a circumstance is not from God, you also need to realize you've been given authority to do something about it. When, when God doesn't have cancer, so God doesn't give cancer, so when there's cancer, we see a storm not sent by God, and we have authority to ask God to do something about it. When, when uh, the lawyer, the IRS, the banker, the doctor, the, the dentist, whoever, whatever, brings you that news, and you know that that news is not news that God sent to you, we don't have just a responsibility to react to it like taking a good punch. We actually can punch back through something called prayer. You say, well, that would be nice if we had that. It'd be nice if we had authority. Jesus says this, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, how many of us know what you're supposed to do when you see the word therefore? You're supposed to ask the question, what's the therefore? What's it there for, Right? So Jesus just said this, and he's putting an addition mark next to his next statement. All authority has been given to me, therefore I'm telling you to go. He has just deputized every believer to do what he would do, go where he would go, say what he would say, create what he would create, destroy what he would destroy. Did you see that? When Jesus is teaching them in Matthew chapter 6 about prayer, Matthew chapter 8, they're getting an exercise in that ability, and they completely fail. And, and here's my point. I believe with all of my heart there's not a disciple in that boat, Judas included, Matthew included, John included, that couldn't have as well stood up and rebuked that storm if he had just understood who he was and what he had. You agree with that or disagree? I, I, think, I think if John would have said, that's enough with a holy boldness, like when David ran after Goliath and said, shut your mouth, you knuckle dragon, big hairy back Neanderthal. You cannot curse God and live, not around me, if John was someone said, that's enough, 
In the name of Jesus, stop. Then the same authority that resided in Jesus to use his bad dog voice, John could have done the same thing. And Jesus was not, he was not showing them how far they were. He was showing them what they could have if they just followed. He was giving them a taste of what life could be like on the other side. Danny Simpson, everybody heard the name Danny Simpson? Famous in Canada, uh, as is Tim Horton's coffee. So I thought maybe you might have heard of him. But Danny Simpson, uh, 1990s, 26 years old, he walks into a bank and he robs it. He's not a good bank robber. He, he was out of money. He was desperate. He, he remembered that his grandfather's World War II sidearm, this 45 caliber, 1911, was in the attic. He got it. It still had the original bullets in it. He loads it. He walks in the bank. He gets $6,000. Well, he gets 6000 Canadian dollars for $4.98. And he walks out. He's not a good bank robber. He's immediately arrested shortly. I mean, he, he goes home. He's counting his money. They kick in the door, and he's going to jail. Interesting thing is this. He goes to prison for six years, but, when, but the, the weapon is now evidence. When they took a closer look at the weapon, they realized it was one of only 145 caliber model 1911s that was made by this Canadian company that once they got their first prototypes made, they went out of business. It's the rarest weapon in World War II worth well over 100,000 American dollars. Hmm. And, and we can kind of laugh at this kid. Um, but at the same time, can't we kind of laugh at ourselves? Because he had what he thought he didn't when he went out to get it some other way. He already had what he needed. He just didn't realize it. He didn't see the value of it. He didn't know it. Guys, I'm, I'm trying to open our hearts. I'm not, I'm not trying to fill every void, but I'm trying to open our hearts to the understanding that there will always be more of God than what we've experienced. There will always be one more thing to ask for that we've never received before. One more door to knock on that we've never had the faith to knock on before. One more, one more, one more thing that, that we just come to God and say, I've been praying, I've been begging, I've been, you know, and God will say, well, then let's talk about fasting. Let's talk about this. Let's talk about, or God will just blow your mind and do it without you even asking. But the point of it is simply this. Unless there's another mystery, we're not still pursuing the infinite one. Unless we're not succeeding somewhere in our faith, we're not even trying Show me somebody that's good on a motorcycle that doesn't have scars, and I'll show you somebody that's faking being good on a motorcycle. And, and Dame Bramage, whoever that was, it just, yeah, right? Show me somebody, like, you know, the best way to get good at skiing, there's no such thing as a ski racer that hasn't had their knees operated on. You, you know what I mean? There, it just part of it is pushing yourself farther and farther and farther until you find that limit and you fall. You crash, you wreck. And the same thing is true in our faith. But here's one of the issues we have to wrestle with. We're afraid of failing. I don't pray for people. Why? Because what if they don't? What if they never? What if they reject? What if they ask me a question? What if, what if, what if, what if? But what if, what if God's calling us to grow in our faith, understanding we're not going to succeed every time? What if learning how to walk involves stumbling and falling into your father's arms? Not away from him. Not making him look silly or you look silly. I tell you what, if we as individuals could stop being concerned with our reputation so much, we might see his reputation increase. Just a thought. My point is this. I think grandpa's pistol's inside of you. So shoot your mouth off. There we go. Jesus showed them what was possible. He just showed them what was possible. It was, you know what that day was for Jesus, that epic day? Like Tuesday. <laughs> they never forgot it. We're still talking about it 2,000 years later. And Jesus was like, yeah, and uh, hey, there's a demoniac that's on the schedule for 3 a.m. This is 1 a.m. So let's just kind of chill between here and there because, you know, a naked cat-eating guy is waiting for us and we need to be ready, right? 
Jesus asked the only question that really mattered, and here it is. He asked them, why are you so afraid? Remember, please hear me. Jesus is rebuking storms, not people in this story. How dare you? How dare you not rebuke that storm? I should have let you drown. The next time that happens, I'm flipping the boat over myself and walking to land. He's simply telling them. He's getting them to understand. He's rebuking the storm, but he's teaching people. When you fail, Jesus will rebuke your storm, but he will teach you even in the midst of failure. He's... I think what he's saying here, if I could just kind of phrase it, why are, you, why are you so afraid? He's like, okay, guys, everything's good. Storm's over with. The stars are out. It, that's all behind us now. We're still in the middle of the lake. We got some ways between here and the shore. We'll get there about daylight. We're all exhausted. Um, Peter's a little bit warmer, but just as wet as everybody else in the room because he wet his tunic, and we all know that, right? He, was, he knows too much, so he was scared. But let's, let's just do this. Let's do an autopsy. Let's do a debrief. What just went wrong? Kim, you're, you're a retired cop. When something goes wrong, you don't say, well, and high five and go to Denny's, right? You say, what just went wrong? Why, you know, we kicked in the door and it it, it didn't kick in. I broke my leg. What did we do wrong? Bring a bigger battering ram. We kicked in the door and two guys got shot before the third guy got in. What did we do wrong? Every time it's a life and death situation, everybody learns every time. That's the way, that's where you survive. Does this make sense? And in the same way, we got to reframe ourselves. Well, I failed, so I'll never try again. No, you'd have never learned how to walk. You'd have never learned how to speak the English language. You'd have never been potty trained. Your life would be completely different if in any other area of your life you just said, well, this is good enough and stopped. We cannot say this is good enough in our faith and stop because we serve a moving God. And if you stop, you'll find the distance between you and him that begins to evolve into a real void. Let's do an autopsy. Fellas, let's stop right here. Let's do an autopsy. What went wrong? And he asked the question, why are you so afraid? And, and could we just do this in our own lives right now? And I'm not saying you all have failed. I'm sure many of you walk on water. You just do it at night so no one can see you because it would be embarrassing. But let's just talk about this. Your, your last or, or maybe your greatest failure. Let's do an autopsy. And, and maybe, maybe the word afraid, maybe it should be angry. Why are you so angry? Why are you so jealous? Why are you so insecure? Why are you so envious? Why are you so, oh... Hungry, I don't know. I'm trying to think of something else. You know what I mean? Fill in the blank with your thing. But to stop, like like one of the greatest exercises of my life is to stop when my my exaggerated response doesn't meet up with the circumstances of my test. Does this make sense? Like I'm really ticked right now. We're we're in Wendy's, uh, drive-thru window, and we had a Wendy's. Remember that? And and we're we're driving through, and the person in front of us is like, "Um, I want a vanilla Frosty. I'm sorry, ma'am. Frosties are chocolate. Okay, well, could I have a strawberry one? I'm sorry, ma'am. Frosties only come in chocolate. Well, can I get a twist? I'm sorry, ma'am. Frosties only come in chocolate. Okay, what sizes do you have? And I'm just back there. The kids are hungry. I'm hungry. How many guys, when you get hungry, you turn into something you shouldn't be? And wives actually looked at husbands right there in the middle of that. Like, I, he's talking to you, sweetie. Listen to this, right? And so finally, after like eight minutes of ordering a Happy Meal, this wonderful child of God pulls ahead. I pull up, and because she's got everybody all in a lather, like, they, one moment, please, so I'm waiting. I'm like, really? You need more time? She ordered three things. It took eight minutes, and you need more time. So it's growing, it's growing, it's growing, it's growing. And finally, can I help you? And they, but they're, like, mad at me now. Can I help you? Well, no, nah, you're going to have that kind of ad. So I order. I'll have this, and I'll have that. And I, okay, hold the pickles, hold the lettuce. Well, special orders did upset them. You know what I mean? 
And, and then I pull, as I pull forward, the guy behind me, this redneck, toothless, son of a mother-eating goat, goes to me, it's about effing time. And I threw it in park. And I put my hand on the door, and I'm going to go rip his stupid face off. Hallelujah. When my wife puts her hand on my hand, the still on the thing, she puts her hand, she goes, remember who you are. <laughs> remember where you are. Like in front of my children, across the street from my church. <laughs> How many of you know that when you failed epically? <laughs> and who knows, it might have been one of you in that pickup truck behind me or the girl in front of me, so I forgive you. But I'm not kidding you. When that kind of stuff happens, like, why was I so upset? What, what was I so angry about? It was eight minutes. Frosty. I didn't know Frosties only came in chocolate. <laughs> I didn't know that. I remember she laughed at me because, like, sometime later I said, like a chocolate Frosty. She's like, Jim, they only come in chocolate. Don't order a chocolate Frosty. Okay. I'll have a chip cookie. No, those are chocolate, Jim. There's a chocolate chip cookie, but it's a, okay. But to stop and say, why am I? So angry. Do an autopsy. This is what I discovered. Somewhere in my life, probably when I was an MP, if I wasn't in control, I was in danger. When I'm in danger, I reach for something that's more dangerous than the danger that's confronting me. And so I have to become angry. I have to, conf- I have to open that door. I have to grab my 45, pull up my nightstick and say, I ordered as fast as I could, you idiot. Only I don't have a nightstick or a 45 and I'm the idiot. When you realize where it's coming from, how many of you guys know you can bring Jesus to that place and ask him for help? I did an autopsy, and I realized that my anger stemmed from things that had nothing to do with Frosties. My insecurities have nothing to do with Frosties. The things that I wrestle with every day have roots that go back somewhere in my life, and when I stop and say, why am I so afraid? You know why they're probably so afraid? I bet you their fathers and their uncles said, listen, man, if you're ever in the middle of the lake, you better not do it at night. Like, fish the shorelines at night, but never be in the middle of the lake. And if you're going to be in the middle of the lake, do it during the daytime because the storms that, and the daytime, you can see them coming for 10 miles. You can get off the lake. But in the night, you can't see them coming until it's too late. Like, stay out. And so if you get, and, they, and they, you know, they, we try to make our kids understand, if you play in the freeway, you, you know that bug on the windshield? You know that, that roadkill on the side of the road? That's going to be you. So they had this visual, this is what's going to happen. This is what's going to happen. They get in the middle of the lake, and here's the storm. They're like, my dad told me, I know what's going to happen. Only it wasn't their dad in the boat. It was Jesus in the boat. But they've been trained to be afraid to protect them from storms in the middle of the night in the middle of the lake. This makes sense? And in the same way, guys, you gotta, sometimes we just have to reprogram ourselves to understand the safest place and at times the most dangerous place is right in the center of the will of God. But let's be right in the center of the will of God. So for us to have this understanding that it's, it, they could have stood up, they could have said whatever, and Jesus basically says this, why, are, why have you taken up residence where I haven't placed you? Your fear belongs to your dad and your uncle, but it no longer belongs to you because you belong to me. You're not in the storm alone. You're in the storm with me. And this is the math. Me, right, plus the storm minus Jesus equals death. But me plus Jesus, and then bring it on. Whatever the storm is, it equals life. My, my sister, Jan, was the best friend that I had growing up. When my uh, you know, parents and all that kind of stuff splitting up and moving around, Jan Wiegand was that, that one kind of constant. I remember... Um, moving to various places. Uh, we lived in this one town. It was really tough. It was a very hard, a very violent uh, city, poverty-ridden. And uh, Janet was the toughest kid at Eastover Elementary in Bloomfield Hills, Michigan. 
Todd Page was my nemesis. He was the school bully, but I had to pass his house on the way to the school when I'd walk to school in the morning. I could have taken a bus, but I wanted to walk to school for whatever reason. So I walked to school, but he had to go past Todd Page's house. And, and I, I remember sometimes Todd would be out there on his way to school or whatever. Hey, I'll walk with you. We'll be friends. But then, you, like, dogs are cool because you kick them and they come back. But a cat, you can pet it. It rolls over and bites you. You know what I'm talking about? Todd was a cat. He was a weird cat. Yeah, he'd be my friend one minute. The next minute, he'd just throw me on the ground and punch me in the face and go, ah, that's, that's for nothing. I'm like, you have issues. And I need dental work. <laughs> he broke this tooth right here. Uh, kicked me in the face one time. So uh, my mom's watching. You didn't know that. But that's the playground accident. Todd Page, I'm going to sue you, Todd, wherever you are. You and the Wendy's you work at. But, but I know this. I know this. Literally, I, I, my sister Jan, she was a couple grades in front of me, but she was tough. I mean, she worked at the school farm where she would grab a bale of hay. This is like third grade. She threw a bale of hay, one in each hand. She, just, she was just a real, just physically strong, powerful. I remember like Todd came after one time. She grabbed Todd as he walked by by his hair and threw him on the ground and said, that's my brother. I'm like, and that's my sister. <laughs> Let's receive an offering. Amen. You know what I mean? But this is, this is what I learned, that if I was around Jan, I was safe. And if I wasn't around Jan, I was in trouble. Can I give you one quick lesson? If Jesus is in your boat, it doesn't matter how hard, Todd Page blows and how many waves he throws over the bow of your boat. If Jan Wiegand was in my boat, I was okay. If Jesus Christ is in your boat, hear me, I can tell you the end of the story. You can tell me about the beating and the imprisonment, but I'll tell you about the earthquake and the prison doors opening and the chains falling off. You can tell me about the worst day of your life, but I can tell you about a God who can redeem the broken pieces of that day into a beautiful narrative that's continuation from, the, from your birth to your death to your eternity. I, you can say, well, my addiction is so strong. And my Jesus is so much stronger. My marriage is so broken. And my Jesus knows how to put broken pieces back together. My kids are so far from God. And I can tell you about Saul of Tarsus, whom God made the apostle Paul, who wrote three quarters of the New Testament books. Any story we have in the middle, I can tell you the rest of a story where God creates a legal precedent by what he's done in other people's lives that he will do in your life as well. Jan Wiegand was my protector. So what do you mean by that? I mean this. You, dear children, are from God. And you've overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who's in the world. If Jesus is for you, I pity the fool who's against you. And Jesus asks us this other question. He says, do you still have no faith? I love when Jesus asks questions that actually have the answers in them. <laughs> you know, do you not have insurance? That wouldn't have helped. He's saying, do you have assurance? Why, what, the problem here is that you don't trust me. The problem is not the size of the storm. Please hear me. Whatever your situation, whatever your forensic analysis, whatever your autopsy, your failure, hear me. Please hear me. The storm is not your problem. The storm is the thing that has revealed a problem. The problem was not between those men and that storm. The problem they had was understanding who they were, who he was, and what that meant. And every storm we are facing now and every storm we have faced in the past and every storm as we look forward to the holidays and futures and sicknesses and all these things, hear me, hear me. The problem, the problem you are facing, if you're facing any problem at all, it is not your, the storm is not your problem. The storm may be revealing a problem, but the problem is always going to be between your heart and God's heart, not your heart and a low-pressure system. Jesus says the problem is you don't know who I am because of that, you don't know who you are. Because of that, you don't know who you are through me yet. 
I love the yet because he's not done helping them understand who he is and who they are. And he's going to send them out empowered by the Holy Spirit. So they start asking the right question. Who is this? This is brilliant. And I, I one more slide, but I'm closing. Piano's playing, I'm closing. How many of you guys get that? The question is never, what is the storm made out of? Who's responsible for the storm? Who I blame for the storm? Is it my daddy, my mama, my senator, my, the person that hurt me, the person that didn't help me? That, that, those are all legitimate questions, but that's not, that's not the issue. What we should be asking the whole time is, who is this that can calm whatever storm I'm in? Because when you get the answer to that question, please hear me, you get the answer to every other question. When you know who he is, right? Then you know who you are. Then you know who you are through him. And that's how it works. Took me a month to get there. But that wouldn't be a bad thing to take a picture of and think about a lot as you're ODing on Turkey. Talk about with your family. Because we're talking about storms, so your children need to talk about this. How would your life be different if your mom and dad would have taught you that the problem is not the storm? The problem is what the storm reveals. And that storm, that, that problem is solvable between you and Jesus. You're going to make it because he's good. You're going to make it because he's powerful. You're going to make it because he's faithful. You're going to make it even though for a season you don't make it because he's faithful to be your savior, your friend, your father throughout your life. He is committed to you even when you're not committed to him. He remains faithful even when you're faithless. What was that all about? It was about growing their faith and their trust in God. It's about bringing another world into the reality of this world. I, I hope, I hope, I hope, I hope. Next week we're coming back to this. But I hope, I hope, I hope you get this. If you have no faith in a certain area of your life, I can guarantee you there has been, is now, or will be a storm. Because the devil doesn't waste resources any more than God doesn't waste resources. If a temptation is effective, why tempt you with two things when one thing is working fine? If he, if he is defeating you in one area of your life with your temper, then he'll give you plenty of things to be upset about for the rest of your life. Addiction, he'll give you plenty of opportunities to continue that addiction for the rest of your life. Failure, he'll give you plenty of opportunities to call yourself that for the rest of your life. It doesn't matter what the storm is made out of. It matters who he is in your boat. Did you get that? Father, I pray that today you would open our hearts and minds to see who you are. Is there a storm? Always. <laughs> Always. There was a storm in 2019. There's a storm in 2020. There's going to be a storm in 2021. I guess it's some people's job to analyze the storm. But it's our job primarily to analyze the one who calms it. So what has the storm showed us that doesn't look like you? What needs to be nailed to a cross that is in our flesh? What is missing from your spirit in our spirit that we are afraid or we are angry or we are lost? We're unsatisfied, we're unfulfilled, we're empty. God, you're the answer. Thank you for new ideas and new businesses and new friends and, and new, new, new. But God, the new becomes old in time. There's something deeper than that new car smell that's supposed to satisfy our soul. There's something deeper than some sideline distraction that makes us not think about what's scaring us for a few moments. There's something deeper, and that something is someone 
And I pray, Jesus, that you'd be the Lord of our hearts, the Lord of our minds. Dominate, literally, literally dominate. Bully those thoughts out of us, God, until there's nothing left but the God who fights for us, the God who is jealous for us, the God who loves us. When we have that, there is not a storm on earth or in hell that will ever defeat us. And until then, when you walk in some measure of fear, anger, jealousy, rage, defeat, God, we are to walk in great victory and bring great victories along with us. So I pray. I pray over my friends as we get ready for Thanksgiving. Maybe gratitude is the greatest, the greatest secret to this. Keeps you right in the right place, right in the right focus. I pray Thanksgiving would be about more than cranberries and missing grandma. I pray that it would be about thanking you for every blessing. Give us the strength that comes from joy in this season, God. Bless, bless, bless your children. Bless them to be a blessing. Defeat everything, God, that is trying to defeat them now, I pray. Heads are bowed. Listen, eyes are closed. It's me and it's you and it's the moving of the Holy Spirit. You're here today. Like, Jim, I'm, not, I'm just not right with God. I, I get what you're saying, but I, I got to do something first. I got I to gotta bring who I am before a holy God and say I was wrong. I do. I, I feel unworthy to ask for the calming of storms when I'm the one who participated in the circumstances of this storm. I'm the one that blew up this relationship. I'm the one whose sin causes. I, I, if I'm ever going to look people in the eye again, I got to start by looking God in the eye and saying, I'm, I'm sorry and receiving mercy. Hear me. God has waited a long time. It says, from the foundations of the world, God has been waiting for you to cry out and say, help me. Literally, he is waiting for you to take that move so he can make all the other moves he has in his heart for you. And today may be that day for somebody or many people. Last week, I was surprised. About eight people gave their life to Jesus. So I don't want to take this moment for granted. I'd ask for every believer that's in right standing with God to just begin to pray for those that are in front of you and behind you and to the left and to the right, those that will be in the next service. Just, Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit would bring men and women to Jesus now. Your heads are bowed. Your eyes are closed. Jim, that's, that's me. I, I'm in. I want this. I want him. I need mercy. That's you. I want you to lift up your hand all over this room right now right now. Now I'm in. God bless you. I love that. Yeah, God bless you. I love that. I love that. That's part of my day. Father, thank you for your mercy. Hands that are raised are acts of humility and faith saying, I need a Savior, and I pray you would bless with salvation, with healing, and with deliverance, God. Every heart that was connected to every hand. And I thank you, God. You're so good. So faithful. So good to us. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Amen. Stand your feet. Don't leave quite yet. Just do this, all right? I want you to do a forensic analysis, an autopsy. I want you to ask yourself these questions. And I want you to be grateful to God through the entire process. Don't you dare let it turn into condemnation. Or if, if at the end of your autopsy, all you see is your failure, you've done it wrong. At the end of your autopsy, you should see the, the faithfulness of God who led you through failure out to the other side to another chance. Does that make sense? Now, Dina told you how to get out of here. I wasn't necessarily listening because I don't have to listen to, I don't, I didn't know I wasn't going to be leaving. You know what I mean? I wasn't going to leaving. So, but you guys know what to do, do you? The staff is here. They're wearing orange vests. Remember guys, we're in the middle, like this is, it's been, it's been worse lately than it's been. So please be very careful. Mask up if you got them. If you don't, I won't make a big deal out of it, but just be mindful of the six feet. On your mark, get set, listen to the staff. Okay, guys, take it away.